Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Since the start of COVID lockdown, Paul and Rick had been reviewing movies one a week and describing them to one another. Now, after a full season of these episodes, we come to this. Finally, they have lost their minds in season two, episode two. Hello, I'm Rick, and this is my co-host, Paul. Hi there, Verna. How are you today? (laughs) Do you like my uh, Verna intro? I did rather. Uh, intro to episode two, is that not right, of uh, Drive, by, Drive by Cinema series two. number two. Yes, that's correct. That's a palindrome. Two, two. Two, two. A Desmond. Well, yeah. Um, Paul, do we have any corrections from our listeners? Or comments, I suppose. Jolien did say about Army of the Dead. Oh, wow. What did he say? He said he thought it was like a video game. It is like a video game. I think we mentioned that fact, didn't we? The fact that it could become uh, a part of a, a video game film a franchise. When they find the corpses of the people who are obviously them. Yeah, time travel. Is that what Jolien says? Well, everyone is saying time travel, but Jolien is saying it's really like respawning in a video game. And he may have a point, actually. Whoa, that is a really, really good point, Jolien. Thank you for that deep insight. But the whole film is a lot like a video game. I'm sure we mentioned Left 4 Dead um, during the podcast recording, which is, I think, what this is trying to capture, really. Because Left 4 Dead is a game, a zombie horde game, where you're attacked by hundreds of zombies. You have to make your way through the level. But it's sort of set up like a film. So that's a video game being a film, and this is a film trying to be a video game. The two are... Very closely linked, I think. So, final observation by Joel in there. Oh, hello. That must be your delivery. It is, yeah. Ocado. Now, listeners, Paul is off to get his delivery. And they don't, of course, sanitise the food before they give it to him. So I wonder whether he's now busy wiping it down with a disinfectant spray. He does have a long-handled brush. He stands at the other side of the room and... He just gets the delivery guy to hook the bags onto the long handle so he doesn't have to approach within two metres. And I'm sure he'll then use it to swab over into a safe place. He'll leave them there in the hallway for about 24 hours just to make sure no virus is surviving. And once it's deemed safe... He will approach again. He will swab them again with another disinfectant swab before finally opening the bags with gloved hands and wearing a mask. He will then take the goods out of the bags and place them into the appropriate hoppers in Paul's very organised kitchen. time to talk about this movie. I think it is. So who is Timothy Treadwell, Richard? He's only the star of our show. And he's quite a star. You know? 
he is the main protagonist in The Grizzly Man, which is the movie that we're looking at today from 2000 and something. 2007. 17. 2007? 2007. Wow, it's an old movie. Okay. And uh, this is directed by... Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. Now, you claimed you'd never seen a Werner Herzog movie, Paul. Not that I remember. I think you'd remember it, wouldn't you? He's got a very distinctive directorial style and a, and a narrative voice. He's he's the kind of director that... Uh, well, it's very hands-off his style, isn't it, really? Did you like it? Did you like it? What aspect of this movie, Richard? Well, Some of it? All of it? Any of it? Is that the question you're asking to like? Look, Werner Herzog is highly regarded, and I think he's he does brilliant movies. But it, he's a documentarian in the style of Adam Curtis and, I suppose, Louis Theroux, in that he's as big as the story is quite quite often, you know. And his style is as much... You, you know, his movies are as much about his style and his narration and stuff as they are about the subject matter quite often. Wouldn't you agree? Well, it's, I, I think it is pretty much the first time I've seen one of his stuff. So, so without knowing much about him, yeah, I probably would do. I mean, uh, it is a discernible style. Uh, the voiceover, you know, I, I, it's it's almost like comedy German, isn't it? Kind of thing. <laughs> uh, well, you will have seen... It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> went... To, Arnold Schwarzenegger got to graduate school kind of voiceover, isn't it? Well, I know you claim you haven't seen his films before, but you have seen him recently because Werner Herzog, rather improbably, played the the bad guy in the first bit of The Mandalorian, the first season, where... He did! Ah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he did! He was like the big honcho, wasn't he? Not the big, big baddie. He was at the start, the guy who hired him to find the... Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was Werner Herzog. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And apparently, what? Uh, during the filming, they had a plan to replace um, the Baby Yoda puppet with CGI. And Werner told Favreau, you, you must not do that. <laughs> oh, Werner told the, the, Werner told the other director what, how, his, how his job was to be done. You know? Yeah, exactly. He told them not to replace it. Which they didn't, of course. It is a puppet in the in the movies, in the TV series. Did do you know how the Mandalorian was filmed? Because they used a brand new technique. They pioneered it pretty much. Yes, it's the volume. The volume, yes. Okay. It's a giant wraparound green screen. It's not a green screen. That's the point. It's like LCD TVs. So, Grizzly Man. <laughs> Grizzly Man is. It was not shot in the volume. No, it was shot in real life. Do you know what? In real life. I'll tell you something annoying about this film. I the Great Outdoors. I know you're not a fan of the Great Outdoors. I'm not. I'm not. It was awful. But I, I paid extra, and I really paid extra. That is to say, to get it in HD. And the whole fucking movie is shot on handy cams and (laughs) (laughs) DV cassettes, isn't it? (laughs) That is unfortunate. So I had a bunch of... I'm not gloating about that, Richard, in case you're wondering. (laughs) I had a bunch of money saved up on my Google account. You thought, oh, 
I'll treat myself. Splash out some HD. What movie should I pick? And so, yeah, I got it in HD and had to pay an extra £1 or something and then realised that that was a waste of money. Even though I've seen it before as well, I should have realised. The story of Grizzly Man <laughs> is we've got a guy, Timothy Treadwell, who very much likes bears. He has a teddy bear when he's younger and he's had a bit of trouble with substance abuse, alcohol abuse, hasn't he, as he's gotten older. And this has left him perhaps in a vulnerable situation and at some point he just goes uh, goes wild and goes and lives. Actually, he only spends the summer, doesn't he? I think he's from California. But he goes over to Alaska, spends the summer with a bunch of grizzly bears, trying to protect them from something or other. And we follow the videos that Treadwell has made, edited together by Werner Herzog, intercut with interviews with people he knew and friends and stuff because of the tragic story of Timothy and what happens to a man who lives with grizzly bears for as long as he did. (laughs) I didn't really find the story very tragic at all. I mean, I never really felt for Timothy anyway. He's not a very likeable character, I don't think. No, I found him quite annoying. (laughs) but that's the thing about this film right on one level you'd think you know it's it's a story of hubris you know man who thinks he's one with the bears goes lives with the bears until they get bored of him eventually and eat him Uh, but the thing is he knew full well it was very dangerous he he said that several times he was sort of cocky sort of proud about living with the bears but he also seemed to know from time to time, he seemed to know that it was very likely he was going to get eaten by them. And he sort of said, you know, he wouldn't want to fight a bear. He wouldn't want a bear to be shot on his behalf, which is ironic because that's exactly what happens. But, um, yeah, he... So he, he sort of knew, but he also says things like... At the very start, he says, <laughs> with typical performative style... I will not die at their claws and paws. Claws and paws, that was very good. He's a kind warrior. Kind warrior. He's a kind warrior. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like somebody who used to play Pocahontas at Disney World got sacked, but doesn't realise, you know, he's he's kind of always (laughs) doing his lines, isn't he? He's always rehearsing. There's nothing, there's nothing free or natural about his conversation ever. It's a weird thing. That's the first thing to notice about how he speaks. And, of course, he's filming himself, or actually sometimes gets help, doesn't he? But he's filming himself on his little videos that he makes in nature. And I think he then goes around schools and shows kids about the bears, which is a terrifying educational prospect, isn't it? I don't know what kids would take away from from his crazy videos. but um, So he's like that, there's no question. The thing about this documentary is, and I don't know whether it's something that Werner Herzog brings out in people, a lot of the people are very performative. They're not very naturalistic. There's the pilot guy with his enormous moustache who's quite stoic. He's like the first kind of interview. Uh, And then there's a couple of women who were closely related to him, who are ex-girlfriends and stuff like that. And they're a bit strange. The strangest of all must surely be the coroner. The guy who <laughs> <laughs> explains 
explains the uh, what's the word the autopsy and stuff like that and how it was bits of yeah. you know bits of body but his delivery is extraordinary it's like a casting tape for something I did notice that about about the the to camera monologues uh, but I hadn't really thought about it apart from the fact that a lot of these people were from California and Alaska surely well, I mean, they travelled up to they travelled from California twice a year. Did did him and his girlfriends kind of thing? Yes, yeah. yeah. But surely the coroner uh, guy, he must have been a local. Oh yeah, Alaska. yeah, they're locals. But in terms of him and his girlfriends, you know, I just put that down to Californian habits that sure. they were quite sort of dramatic. You know, Timothy tried to break into Hollywood, very nearly did do, uh, changed his name to Timothy Treadwell. Uh, in order to become a star in Hollywood. Nice alliteration so, there. So, and was in trouble originally, quit his job originally at uh, at Gulliver's, a, a theme restaurant uh, where people, you know, the the, the serving staff would uh, dress up in medieval English costume. He got fired there for, for prancing around and walking funny in the dining room, you know. So, so there is something very performative about him. He's constantly... On stage, whether or not he's on camera or not, I think you know. I think there are some moments where he's not really talking to camera, but the camera's on, and he's still this kind of person, you know. So, so I'm just trying to find the name of his girlfriend, who I think the one you're particularly talking about, the one that met him uh, in the restaurant when they were both working there before they got fired. I think her name is Javel or Jowl. Jewel. Palavac. It was Jewel. Oh, Jewel. There you go. Her name's Jewel. Yeah. Jewel Palavac. And she got, you know, she got disciplined and put on the disciplinary track at the same time because she set fire to the <laughs> dessert trolley by pouring lighter fluid on a cake. <laughs> so, you know, these kids are high as kites, basically. Uh, and I think Tim, it was a chance for Tim to get clean, wasn't it? To go up there and live, live in a simpler world. Timothy looks a bit like Tim Brooke Taylor, a young Tim Brooke Taylor. He does look like a younger Tim Brooke Taylor. Or for, for our younger listeners, that is one of the goodies. Or Peter Talk from the Monkeys. Yes. He has that look about him. Uh, he's got Definitely. he's got a very boyish kind of uh, ambiance to him. But what about the voice though? Do you not find the voice extremely disturbing? Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe, well, I've written, why does he talk like that? Also, shocking to learn that he has girlfriends, actually. Mm. <laughs> Although... Well, can we get... Well, this is, is this in reference to that, you know. When he's talking about his girlfriends, I say, why does he talk like that? He's simultaneously like a, 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 a Butlin's red coat, <laughs> Dorothy from Wizard of Oz, <laughs> Timmy Mallet, <laughs> anybody in pantomime, uh, Queenie from Blackadder, <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, Jim Carrey and RuPaul. Like, all those people who talk like that. <laughs> he's got all that together. Do you remember Queenie from Black Hat? Yes. <laughs> when she tells Nursey that she's, you know, to do something. He has all that in there. <laughs> and this is what he was particularly talking about girls. Like, oh, I wish I'd been gay, kind of thing. It's like saying, That's I wish I'd been gay. strange thing like, for a straight guy to say. <laughs> so strange. But the girls say that I'm good in... Well, I'm not going to say what I'm good in, because as a guy, I'm not supposed to talk like that. You know, this weird kind of very closeted way of talking about something he's talking about anyway, you know. Like, almost like he's on stage, you know, and almost like 
he's presenting himself in a certain sort of way. It was very weird. So the, the, how he looked wasn't for me as much a concern as well. The way he sounded, you know, the way he spoke. One of the <laughs> one of the least flamboyant interviewees that they have early on uh, talking about talking about the bears and stuff says the bears probably thought he was mentally retarded or something. <laughs> that was Larry Van Deel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. But can I just say, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Larry's right about that. Because uh, Timothy survived up there for 10 consecutive seasons more, I think. It was his 12th season that he got chomped, you know. And he spent a lot of time with bears, less than 100 feet away, which is what annoyed the rangers up there, and often on video, face-to-face with these giant wild animals. And incredibly, they didn't attack him. So he did have something about him. Or more because, worrying. Um, is it, uh, it, because bears do attack. You know, if you got to a bear, it will attack you. In, in you know, one out of four circumstances, I would imagine. Especially, they do. especially when yeah. it's the bear cub that's coming up to him. Yeah. And the, he's, he's, he's playing with the bear cub on the nose and stuff like that. And the mother's there, you know. So he, he obviously has a technique, Richard. This is the point. <laughs> well, m- maybe. I mean, maybe the bears... Just... No, Definitely. Definitely. Either they've learned to recognise him, smell him, or something to, to recognise as part part of their environment. But I mean, it would be unthinkable that for anybody else to approach a bear like that, wouldn't it? Surely. I just I just realised that Jewel says when she's describing her work in the restaurant, she nearly burnt down. She says she was <laughs> she was a great performer, you know, because it was some kind of dinner show styley thing. I think wasn't it? Yeah, she was dressed as a wench. Yeah. She she said at one point. She could toss the salad with a plum. <laughs> a plum, yes. <laughs> to use the vernacular. <laughs> you know, I mean, for those of us that have tried to get on in performing arts, it does involve waiting tables or whatever, or doing that kind of kind of job, you know. And then this temptation to bring that into your into your day job, you know, to bring the performance into your day job. And you know, service industries, I guess, in America, theme restaurants, perfect place to do it. Uh, Butlins Redcoats in the UK was a perfect place, you know, if you're waiting for the stage door to open for you, was, you know, to to keep practicing whilst whilst earning some money. But yes, I mean, she's definitely, you know, she's definitely blinded by the by 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 the silver screen and 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 uh, and the super trooper lights, isn't she, of the stage? And for me, it's like Tim's this really weird sort of character. He's like a piece of paper ripped in two. There's this person who was on drugs and was in Hollywood and was up for all that kind of success. What role did he nearly get that his dad said? Wait, he almost became Woody in Cheers. In Cheers, yeah. That's difficult yeah. to believe, isn't it? <laughs> well, no. No. No, he does. He does he, I can see how he would be cast for the role. And apparently he came second to Woody Harrelson. And apparently his dad said this broke him. Yeah, This is where the paper ripped. And then there's his other side, which is to get away from all that was. And go and live in Alaska with bears in a tent. Uh, but when he gets up there, that stage personality is still with him. And that's what I find so jarring about him. Is like, he wants to embrace all his nature, but he's he's so Disney Channel, Channel kind of performative false all the time with it. Do you know what I mean? Well, he's, it's like, he, he's a drama he's, queen, he's, isn't he? He's literally... He's manufacturing a drama that doesn't exist, and Werner makes this point quite early on, but yeah. and also later he underscores it. 
you know, they're in a nature reserve, but protected by park rangers who have, as you say, one of their rules is you don't go more than 100 yards uh, close to a bear. They don't want people getting the bears used to people, obviously. They don't want people to be eaten, etc. And he thinks he's protecting the bears from who knows what, hunters or something, poachers. Uh, but, you know, throughout that 10 years, throughout all of his videos, you know, there was, yeah, nothing like that was happening. There was one time where a group of fishermen show up and Timothy is like hiding behind the bushes and watching them from afar. And I think he's... Just, they throw a rock at a bear. They do throw a they rock think, at a bear. He thinks, he thinks he's torturing the bear, but actually they're just telling the bear to keep his distance. Yeah, know? exactly. And he finds... Uh, he finds a piece of wood that they've written, Hi, Timmy, or something on it, you know, see you next year. And they've also drawn a smiley face on a rock, which he took to be very creepy or, you know, sinister, I think. He's manufacturing this crazy drama in his head, isn't he, that he's playing out as the protector, the, the kind warrior protecting these bears. But look, I just want to say something about what you said about him having something and the fact that the bears didn't eat him. It is always going to be the case that you will always find that the bear has never eaten you until the point that the bear eats you. And, that you know, the longer that goes on, I guess, the more complacent you get about it. But clearly, obviously, until the bear eats you, you must think you've got some kind of magic about you. True. Anyway, so Jewel Palavac... Uh, with whom he eventually formed a company, Grizzly People. I don't know what how they made their money. It seems that most of his work he did for completely free, in, 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 including, you know, the kind of uh, promotional work in schools. Yeah, but she made out like a bandit, didn't she? She inherited his G-Shock watch. She did. Also, his death tape. We'll get to that later. Anyway. But a Casio G-Shock watch, I mean, they can be collector's items. And apparently it was still working, which is a great advert. Probably the best ever. Well, they're legendary. They don't break, do they? I mean, Casio's are just so reliable. Did you ever have a G-Shock watch? I still do. Do you? It's a, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're not cheap anymore. I used to have one. Now, I don't know, I don't even notice this about me, Paul, but I have unusually small wrists for a, a human male. And so a, a Casio G-Shock watch, especially the one I had, which had a fuck ton of bells and whistles on it, is, looks ridiculously big on my, on my wrist. That's another recommendation. We should basically be sponsored at this stage, shouldn't we? What does your G What does your G Shock do? What tools does it have? I had to. Well, I'm not. I have several swatches. I'm not talking about swatches. Uh, We're not talking about swatches. They're fashion watches, Paul. We're talking about a, a G Shock survival watch. The Panasonic Tough Book of Watches. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got two G G Shocks. One from yeah. One from way back. It's black plastic. Uh, and it was 1695 in the 80s, which I guess was expensive back then. And, well, for a kid's, for a kid's watch. And then in 2007 kids, or something... Watch, they're not toys. Not anymore. Well, they're retro watches now, but they were kids' toys. Uh, they were kids' watches originally, weren't they? No. Teenage boys' watches. Kind of. Well, what? And the ones with calculators on definitely were. But anyway, so then in 2007, I bought another one. Okay. Uh, and it is a surfing G-Shop. So... It will tell you the height of the tides according to your GPS location. My G-Shock I mentioned Swatch because my Swatch I bought in 2005 was a skiing Swatch. And you could put it on the ski lifts and get a free pass. Kind of thing. 
just not in the same league, Paul. But I, my G-Shock had an altimeter and a barometer, I suppose it's the same thing, and a temperature sensor in it. And, and it could tell the time as well, all in one. And it, it could stopwatch as well, did that. And it was a lot of fun on planes because you could see the altitude changing, you know, as the plane lost pressure as it went up in the, the air. That's the original. Jewel is weird because she's performing too, as you say in these interviews. You're right about the interviews. I noticed one thing, though. She says, I was his good friend. I was his employee. She doesn't say it once, but she says it in all three interviews. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. almost like they've got their lines rehearsed. Yeah. Yeah. So can we jump to the end? No. So the, here's the thing about this film is we know from the coroner, that, and we know all through the film, of course, we've been watching Treadwell taking videos. And we... so, it's, it's, uh, so for me, it was like, sorry to drop, but it's like, it was two things. It's like, there's a great suspenser is, you know, when are we going to see him get killed? Yeah. But two, before then, early on, and I, I, I thought, wow, Werner's, Werner's doing a great thing here. It almost plays like a bear whodunit, <laughs> like Cluedo. <laughs> like, was it rowdy in the park? Was it Ollie in the trees? Was it the Grinch in the salmon, you know, in the salmon run? Or, or was it Mr. Chocolate, you know, back down by the beach? He's, he's got names for all, all his little bears, you know. And we see all these suspect bear characters. But we also see Spirit the Fox. You think, wow, was it Spirit the Fox that killed him? Who knows? Or maybe it was fucking Goldilocks. But it doesn't turn out that way. So I thought it was going to be Who Done It, as Rich is now about to point out. It wasn't Who Done It. No, we never actually find out which bear did it. But well, they uh, well they end up shooting a bear, don't they? And then they cut the bear open and they find Timothy inside. So I guess they did know which bear. But it, 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 uh, number one four one. Well, it was a bear that had, he had a tattoo on his lip. It, yeah, you you know it's a bad bear if it's got a tattoo, right? Because you know for a start it must have been tranked. <laughs> it, it's it's been on the tranquilizers, and bears get mad after that, no doubt. But. <laughs> The thing is, uh, we know from the coroner uh, and probably some other clues that a tape exists of the killing of the attack. And as as you say, Paul, there's a suspense, isn't there, about whether you're going to see it. And actually, you know, any about ten different times during the film, you are expecting, you know, Timothy being a bit blasé around the bears to suddenly get eaten. Um Although he did seem kind of scared in a lot of those, didn't you think? There was a bit of bravado going on, but it seemed like he was really shitting himself. I don't know. Uh, but I guess he, he must get used to it after a while. But um, in the end, well, we know the coroner has listened to this tape because he describes it in pretty much excruciating detail uh, and quite animatedly. And he also... Makes these grand statements, doesn't he? He turns it into this kind of romance about about Timothy uh, knowing that he's going to die and telling her to go and save herself, but she <laughs> can't leave him. And it's really a story of two people who love each other. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. I don't think we mentioned, but his, his last girlfriend uh, is up there with him on this season. Her name is Anne? Amy. Oh, Amy, Amy. Tugendhat or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's perhaps unusual because all through the filmed footage timothy's always alone and there's never really a hint that anyone else there with him but apparently on occasion or perhaps regularly he would 
invite his girlfriend to stay with him, but he would always project this image that he was alone in the wild. Well, yeah, and and he seems to be able to occupy himself with his filmmaking, with his love of bears, without going crazy. And, and Werner says, you know, he's such a methodical, you know, shop talky. He says he's such a methodical director, such a methodical filmmaker. He often would, you know, retake 15 times. And, and then we see him at some point after The Fisherman have been, he kind of goes into a Rambo mode <laughs> where he, he, he creates this sort of jungle or, you know, Alaskan forest expedition Without really a storyline, but he's he's you know he's he's uh, he's amo- he's camoed his face up in camouflage and he's got a bandana on and the thing he's discussing to himself uh, on camera but off take is you know I'll, I'll do it with a bandana on and then I'll do it with a bandana off <laughs> and the next thing we see is you know him jumping down a ravine with a bandana on kind of thing so he's obviously consumed in a way uh, when you become a solitary. David Crockett kind of person with his own thoughts and his own dreams. And he, you know, he's kind of returning, if you like, to that simpler world. But at the same time, he remains this very complex, I wouldn't say narcissistic character, but quite a, quite a complex, I don't know what the word would be um, to describe that, that level of self-involvement. In some of the shots are rare, but apparently in some of the shots you can see someone else is holding the camera. In the end, uh, Werner listens to the final tape that Jewel is in possession of. Yeah, so we see Werner for the first time kind of uh, sat uh, with headphones on whilst Jewel is kind of giving him exasperated, is it okay if I start crying looks? And she tries to imagine what he's hearing. She's never listened to the on tape. these headphones. I, this is actually really scary and moving, I think, this section. Because Werner, after a few minutes, he says, you know, please, please stop it. And he's obviously... He he breaks into tears, doesn't he? Or breaks into sobbing. Yeah. Or he's about to break into full tears and full sobbing. But he kind of says, just, you know, stop it. You know, I don't want to continue it. And he says to Jewel, you must, you must never listen to this. And she says, no, I, I, yeah, people say that. I must never listen to it. He said, you should destroy it. You should destroy it. And she says, now you know why no one's going to... Hear it. Yeah. You can't see Verna's looks, but you can see her eyes. Uh, and, and the looks, the pained, very vulnerable looks that she's giving him. She's asking him to do closure for her, kind of thing. Uh, and, and But she doesn't really hear the answer that she wants to hear, I don't think. He's saying, you know, this is worse than you can imagine, kind of thing. This is absolutely terrible. Because, of course, it wasn't just him. His girlfriend got eaten as well. And ultimately, you know, this this indicts Timothy in a big way, in my mind. I mean, he basically killed that girl, didn't he? With his carelessness, really. She was frightened of bears. That was said of her. And it's clear on the film where, the rare film where, where you see her, she's clearly frightened. We see her three times. And he says, you know, there's twice where we see her, but we don't see her face. Yeah. And then he leaves it at that. He's a great director. And then towards the end, you know, at the culminating moment... We actually see her face, yeah. uh, and a bear is right by her, and she's obviously crapping her. It's petrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We see a huge bear fight between two competitive males, and one of them craps himself whilst he's fighting. Yeah, and of course, Timothy. <laughs> that would be good in HD, I think. <laughs> Timothy describes it as Sergeant Brown did a number two. <laughs> yeah, 
He's still on stage at Disneyland, isn't he? But then later in the movie, uh, another of his uh, close bear friends does a poop on the salmon run on one of the rocks. And he goes over to caress it and smell it and feel it. No, it's inside her. I I can't describe that voice he has and the way he has of gloriously romanticising things in very simple, almost like childlike language and ideas. Yeah, but it's a very strange thing and it's not entirely persona, I don't think. It's not just his stage self and character. It's unnerving. It's disturbing. This... There's something about him that really has yearned for a simpler world. But like Werner says, he doesn't recognise the chaos in that simple, natural world. She must have been really into him. I mean, if if you were afraid of bears, would you go so you could get a shag with somebody? Would you go and stay in, in what they called the grizzly maze? <laughs> to go and see the kind warrior. I think... Uh, I'd have to be really into somebody to do that. When I found out that Timothy Treadwell was a stage name, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to give myself a stage uh-huh. name. Uh, and so I did whilst watching this movie. I decided to call myself Zebulon Bascom. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see Zebulon Bascom in the titles, you know that I've... You know it's a good one. Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So what was interesting here for me, Rich, was how much uh, the director managed to fit in one and three quarter hours of of film. I, a lot. I have... There's a whole backstory here he manages to get in whilst maintaining the tension of, are we going to see a mauling on screen kind of thing? And whilst, you know, letting these uh, side characters in and letting them shine for a moment. Sorry, Rich. This is the second time at least that I've seen this film. But I didn't remember all the detail that I saw in it this time. I think the first time I was watching it, I was probably all hooked on this thing that, you know, a guy is going to be murdered on film or something. Or eaten by bears on film. And I maybe was not paying attention to all the other subtleties and the stories behind it all. This time it was a completely different experience for me. And it was much richer and, you know... just underline that I think Herzog is a, is a good filmmaker, a good documentarian. But I think the way that, you know, in this short time, Herzog also managed to give us a really good sense of the nature, uh, the natural world up there in Alaska. But also, he kind of really digs in to Timothy's feelings and Timothy's emotional journey by pointing out that there's a really, there's a drought, isn't there? And there's a harsh winter afterwards and during the drought of course a salmon run isn't 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 full of salmon and the bears are deep diving into the lake to pick up discarded salmon carcasses and that kind of thing for food and timothy doesn't recognize this timothy just thinks it's all fun yeah but then there's some there are two things that timothy can't ignore one is a hungry male bear who killed a cub and all that remains of the cub is a clean car, clean clean skull. You know the carcass is gone. It's been cleaned and eaten by the hungry bears. The other thing is a, a, a smaller cub has just been dismembered, uh, not for food, but in order that the mother will stop lactating and that the males can breed again. And there's also a dead fox as well. And Timothy just doesn't react to any of these in a way that allows him to incorporate that aspect of 
the wildness of nature into his worldview, you see. And I think, I think Herzl really gets that seesaw aspect of this man's personality. The fact he hasn't integrated important parts of himself so that they can work as a whole. Uh, so it's a fascinating psychological insight, insight, as well as an emotional journey, I think. So there's a lot in this movie. I think Treadwell might have been doing it for the rush. I think it's like an extreme sport for him. Towards the end, we kind of see him, his personality not collapsing, but we certainly see him a little more physically dishevelled, don't we? And we can sense that his spirits are low. And he's kind of, he kind of makes a clarion call to the people who are potentially watching the video to say, come up here. It's dangerous. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's kind of saying, this is a challenge that I did. And he's like, I did this. You know, I spent however many years and how many seasons up here with these birds. It's something you couldn't do, you know. And there's a, there's a small amount of aggression in his voice. Kind of, uh, he's not crowing about it. But at the same time, it does indicate that some of the reasons for self-validation that he was up there was to do something really, really reckless and dangerous sorry Richard. No, no exactly that I think he's he gets a thrill out of doing it and it is his drug now that extreme sport kind of effect where he's just he's pushing it closer and closer because he gets you know he wants that thrill when he before he went into the grizzly maze area before where he died you know he was saying that it, it's the most dangerous camping you can do in the world uh, and I'm doing it, yeah, you know. So I sense that that's what it is. It's, he's doing it for the rush of it. But as I say, his recklessness cost not only his life, not only the life of his girlfriend, but also the life of the bear, which got shot. Which is exactly what he said didn't want to happen. And you know, it doesn't. It's not done sort of uh, bear human relations any good, has it? I, I think bears are horrible, nasty creatures. I don't think they're majestic. I think they're great waddling. You know, danger lumps. I'd agree, but except when they were stood up rubbing themselves against the bark of the tree, it did look like 11 foot tall and quite impressive. Yeah, I mean, they're big. Sure, no question of that. Terrifying also, but they're not majestic. Towards the end, I thought that my feeling is that Timothy might have given up. Yeah, there was a sense in which he knew he was going too far and it was going to end him. And he stopped caring because he always camped out in the open. And now he started camping in the trees. I think he'd given up and he was kind of willing this thing to happen. Uh, I once read an article about a special club that um, some, I I think they're mostly hunters, belong to hikers and hunters, which was people who had survived bear attacks. And this particular club, I mean, I guess there may be people who survived bear attacks who don't do this, but this particular club were people who would get like serious weapons attached to their wheelchairs because they were all horribly mangled by their experience. And they would then go hunting bears as a form of revenge on them, you know, with real malice. (laughs) (laughs) My favourite line from the whole article was uh, from a, a really... I mean, it's got some horror sort of sections in it, but... This was a hunter who had been attacked while he was peeing against a tree. And I think the bear grabbed him by his genitals and dragged him along. Uh, It seems to be a common thing, actually. I don't think you want to be peeing in bear bear country because they seem to like that. Maybe they're attracted by the smell. But 
uh, the line was in the article that it changed the way he thought about bears and the way he pees for life. <laughs> 35,000 brown grizzly bears in Alaska. Uh, they were on Kodiak Island, which I've heard of before. That's around 3,000 bears. 6% are harvested. That's 180 bears are harvested by hunters every year. Uh, and Timothy had a problem with that, apparently. Uh, bears do have low reproduction rates, uh, a very large roam area. That's typified by the polar bear. Uh, however, that doesn't mean that they're, they're not viable as a population, and they still need to be culled and harvested. So, as the Grangers were saying, there's no reason for him to be up here to stop anything of what's going on. One, they had no poachers, and two, the hunters paid princely sum to come and help the Rangers cull these animals. You know, so so I mean, realistically, unless you're going to take a very sentimental, maybe childish view of nature. Nothing. The human interaction there was very well managed, and nothing was wrong with it anyway. So, so I, I, I don't recognise what work he did. So, I, you know, my sympathy with Timothy is very, very limited. Yes, I agree. I agree. So, how to score this? I don't know. Let's start with the story that it tells. And do you want to go first on that, Richard? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, it's a kind of a morbid story that would appeal to me. And, you know, with Werner's eye on it as well, I think it improves it. So uh, I'll give it an eight for the story. And as you mentioned, it's got all that which bear did it kind of thing going on, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Reverend Grizzly in the drawing room, yeah. No, I mean, story good, uh, seven. Okay, don't let me... Don't let me influence you, Paul. You should go first on the next one. There needs to be a category for sort of style. Oh, I really th- never really thought about that. I mean, I guess it depends if you like Werner Herzog's style. It's a little bit Teutonic for my tastes. Uh, I'm going to score it six. I find Werner Herzog impossibly comforting, and I have a lot of the same feelings I do as I do about Adam Curtis, with less baffling confusion thrown in. So I'm going to give it an 8 for that. Any other categories, Paul, you can think of that we need for a documentary? There probably has to be a veracity thing, you know, truthfulness, but I've no idea how we judge that on this. Oh no, it's definitely true. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And definitely, and you get a real sense of the slight untethered nature of his emotions towards the end. I don't know. Yeah, I think documentary Documented realism is a, is a good scoring area. I'm going to score it eight, I think, for that aspect. I am going to mark it down somewhat just because of all of the very performative interviews. And maybe that's not Werner's fault, but nonetheless, it's difficult to completely believe everybody in this, isn't it? Um, so I'm going to give it a six, which I think is harsh. But I mean, there is that one bit where Werner goes out to the glacier and they take a picture of the glacier breaking up and he uses that as a... uh, He describes it as sort of emblematic of the chaos in Timothy's life. But to be honest, I didn't buy it. (laughs) I think he's limited in in the sense that Timothy does not exist anymore. (laughs) So so we can't get... We can't get it straight from the horse's mouth. He's a little box of ashes with some flowers in it. And a G-Shock Casio watch. Incredibly, you know, we got some gruesome detail, I think, from the coroner about, you know, about how he was just, he received some, you know, some bits of human stuff in a plastic bag. Two plastic bags, one for Amy, one 
that had been retrieved from from the bear's the bear's belly presumably. under surrounding area. Oh, the watch survived because his arm was hanging from a tree or something, wasn't it? So, in terms of atmospheres, you know, in terms of did he represent the Alaskan grizzly bear forests well? I'm going to have to score it in seven point five. It would have been better in HD, but obviously <laughs> we haven't got HD. I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven. Because actually, it seemed like he stayed in quite a small area, didn't he? And overall then, Paul? Overall, I'm going to score this a seven. If only... No, a 7.5, because at the end, we get an Alaskan pilot <laughs> yodeling a famous song about coyotes yeah. <laughs> uh, as he flies... A plane to finish again, very performative. I mean, does does Verna go? Would you mind singing? Would you mind singing a song at the end? So overall, it was a seven. But I just just remember that fabulous detail. It's going to be a seven point five, Richard. How about you? How did you score this, baby? Well, the difficult thing about this film is, it is a good movie. I think it's it's a good documentary. It's quite difficult to watch, though. For a lot of the reasons we've described, Timothy is not sympathetic. Um, he's It feels like a freak show that you're watching. It makes you feel a bit weird for watching it. It makes you feel a bit voyeuristic for watching it. It, it, it makes me feel bad in a lot of ways. It makes me despise bears and <laughs> the hideous nature, which Werner described. He said, he, he made a point that when Timothy is looking into the eyes of the bears, he sees like friends or he, a connection. And Werner says, I see it's the overwhelming indifference of nature, <laughs> an animal that is uh, bored of its food or something similar. <laughs> I completely agree with him. I, I didn't see any of that. They were just cold, unthinking killers in my mind. So for these reasons, it is a recommend, but I'm going to give it uh, a sort of guarded six, I think. I think people might hate it if they watch it. Anyway, so let us safely put that back in the lockable glass section of the corner cabinet <laughs> next to the Tia Maria <laughs> until next year. That's not the kind of movie that you want out when the kids are around. And let's move on to next week, Richard. What have you got for me, Paul? What do you suggest? Oh, well, well, I've got a whole, whole slew of, uh, of suggestions. I don't know how you feel about this. Okay. I want to move away from movies, if that's okay. Well, we are called Drive-By Cinema, Paul, which might present a bit of a problem, but it's a new season. So, in that vein, I was going to suggest a Netflix series. Look, TV series are the new movies. They are the new movies. Okay, so you've accepted it. So, therefore, my first suggestion is a South Korean Netflix, made for Netflix uh Series, drama series, I guess you'd call, uh, called Extracurricular. Okay, okay. And what's it about? It's about uh, an enterprising young fella uh, coming towards the end of his uh, high school, his high school experience. Uh, And he comes from a poor, maybe neglectful family, uh, and he needs to make rent. He lives on his own, he needs to make rent. So he's found some perhaps unappetizing ways to make money you know to stay in school pay for his college education eventually he meets potentially what you might call a love interest and uh, she is almost like a femme fatale really 
Like, uh, at the moment that he meets her, his luck turns bad and his uh, covert business interests uh, come to the attention of all kinds of uh, unsavory people. And it's it's almost like a descent into into chaos, but high school style. So. Stop, Paul. Stop. Oh, yeah. I'm already possibly intrigued. It sounds incredibly erotic. It seems only to last for ten short episodes of about 45 minutes each. So just 450 minutes of viewing for you, Richard, uh, for your homework this week. <laughs> Hell. That's the first option. Okay. The second option is uh, It Follows, about which I know very little. Ah, it's a chilling horror movie. Well, I mean, I'm I'm into that, but I'm intrigued by a South Korean uh, uh, drama, school drama. So let's go for extracurricular. Oh, extracurricular it is. Okay, I enjoy watching the rest of that. All right, until the next one. See you. Bye. <laughs>